My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that I give them in a shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. defined by Merriam-Webster in five ways. A religion regarded as unorthodox or spurious. A great devotion to a person, idea, object, movement, or work. A system of religious beliefs and rituals. A formal religious veneration. And or a system for the cure of disease based on dogma set forth by its promulgators. Sound familiar? We are all born into a full-blown cult, suspended in our minds like a glimmering chandelier, an artificial placeholder for the sun, in the modern McMansions that function like Plato's cave, shadows dancing across the TV screens as we're chained to the sofa, our eyes so beaten and blurred we can no longer separate actuality from illusion, our society promotes a delusion of comfort, our warped cult science dogma satisfying our need for absolute answers as we love bomb each other and offer our insecurities on the altar of exploitation and manipulation forfeiting our independence to become a part of the us versus them divide and conquer hegelian trap the masters of mind control fill their coffers as the cult remains ignorant to their participation their society their association wake up wake up like today's guest este astra who joins me, Mystic Mark, to discuss how she was raised in a cult and escaped to overcome her circumstances, to shine and stand in the naked glory of the sun which procures and generates all life. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast and enjoy this conversation with Este Astra. And this is a funny thing because it doesn't matter how logical you are, how educated you are, how smart you are. We all have these little like trap doors inside of us that are just basically our physical, biological need for connection and for validation as human beings that can be exploited by someone with a very psychopathic tendencies to just extract what they want from you. So at the end of the day, like it's not useful to like like think like, oh, if you're in a cult, you must be naive, you must be stupid, you must be dumb. Like, absolutely not. It means you were vulnerable. You were in a vulnerable state of mind 
and you outsourced your decision making to somebody who you perceived had more authority and more knowledge and more wisdom than you. that we're being propagandized with, but the energy is present, like it's there. And so the United States having this like heavy cancerian energy and having this influence over the entire world, it's like having to deal with those deeply, deeply rooted patterns of codependency and how our government basically wants us to be super dependent on them and wants us, wants us to yield to their authority tell me what to do give me money it's a very enmeshed codependency that is not sustainable and so i feel like that as a country is something that we're dealing with and currently the planet pluto is transiting the sign of capricorn which is directly is the opposite sign of cancer so cancer and capricorn is this energetic access that talks about like the mother and the father authority and nurturing codependency and independency like going after your goals or stewing in like your limitations and feeling sorry for yourself and it's like this energy that that basically everybody is feeling like all over the world it's like how how are we going to forge new systems and structures that revere and respect our divine free will and liberate us from these codependent patterns of relating to authority structures that you know since the beginning of time when like monarchy like we see it falling apart and we see like the humanity awakening having this awakening this consciousness awakening to figuring out like do we even need leaders like do we need these people at top of these hierarchies that aren't actually leaders Here we are, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. And on today's show is someone who I've booked on Sam's show several times. They're an astrologer, a spiritual adept. Her name is Esti Astra, and she is here for the first time on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Welcome to the show. And maybe for those who haven't heard of you before or heard your interviews with Sam on Zero, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what brings you here today? Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Mark. And it's este. It's like eh and then like stay. Namaste, but este in a way. Este. <laughs> Whoa, I just like rhymed so many words right there. Um, yeah, thank you for that introduction. It's been a lot of fun to get to know Sam and talk to him on the podcast. So to have those opportunities are really cool. And I'm a big fan of his stand-up comedy and of Tim Poyle hat and of all that stuff. So yeah, my name is Este. And yeah, so I'm an esoteric astrologer and a shadow worker. Those are like the two titles that feel correct for me to put on, you know, like in this world, in this matrix, where we're always trying to like be defined by others as like what we do. But like at the end of the day, like somebody is an artist 
It's more like a way of life, a way of being, right? So the way I look at the world is through shadow work and through astrology. So it feels okay to put those labels on myself. So that's like what I practice. And yeah, I came to kind of the spiritual esoteric world. I would say it was kind of inevitable for me to land in these more kind of mysterious mysterious and like ethereal ways of perceiving reality because I was born in a mind control cult that started in Mexico in the 1920s and really really I mean really horrible environment the same kind of like the ways and like it's interesting because family structures that are commenced with dysfunction and distortion and trauma fractal themselves out into society and the way we like when we zoom out we can look at like global power structures and how they're destroying the planet and how they mirror toxic family systems that's exactly what a cult is a cult is a a dysfunctional social system and how i like to think of it it's like it's a pathological psychopathic power structure that benefits a very few at the top of a hierarchy and exploits the rest of the people down in the pyramid. That's why like the pyramid is such a powerful symbol and icon of how these systems operate and how they're perpetuated. And I came to the realization that I was in this kind of toxic environment that was controlling me, controlling my mind, my entire reality, the thoughts that I was allowed to think. And I came to a very visceral awareness of that when I was 19 years old. And that kind of launched me unconsciously into my very first ego death, like kind of like some people might call it a psychotic break. I don't know, like losing touch with reality, right? When you figure out, when you come to the realizations and start to connect the dots, almost like in a Greek tragedy, the point of recognition when somebody realizes that it's their very own actions that have caused the very thing that's like destroying them. Or just when you realize in hindsight, oh, it's it's been this way the whole time, the illusions just shattering right before you. And that happened to me when I was 19. And that that experience like really just kind of opened me up in a way that like to like concepts and ideas that I first or like initial before that thought were really out there and crazy and seemed super implausible that now seemed, you know, like these things might actually be real because once your reality is challenged in such a way to that when you associate somebody who's supposed to be the most amazing person, right? You believe in this cause and this person that you've attached your self-worth and all of like you've projected your divinity onto them. Once you realize that it's like you look at you never look at anything the same, right? From one to one interpersonal relationships to like your friend circle to the the wider society and the groups that that you inhabit. And I kind of didn't know what to do with all of these realizations and was kind of like very lost and floundering. And the only place where I found some kind of relief where I could start to be myself and and got a little bit of comfort was through the arts and through the performing arts. And so I got into theater, not necessarily acting and performing, but just like being the person to nurture the creative process and all of that. And I really found my place in being able to like bring people together, groups of humans together to kind of nourish a sort of creative transformation. And then at the end, we have this wonderful piece of art that we get to share with people and they get to experience it. So I fell in love with the art form and it helped me heal those wounds of self-expression a little bit that have been that had been so suppressed while I was in the cult. And so 
it was very sad for me when I like continued in my career in the theater to then kind of awaken again to another one of these realizations like, oh, wait, this can like this turns into cult as like a cult type of thing as well. It's like groups of humans coming together. Our inner dysfunction is projected outwards in the way that we treat each other when we don't respect our each our divine free will. And so we create systems and structures that are codependent, that are designed to implode on themselves. And so it was very kind of disheartening to see this art form that I fell in love with and that that I saw so much magic and so many possibilities and be kind of like distorted into this vehicle for a political agenda. And like everything has to have some kind of like like legitimate like not legitimate, but a kind of explicit political point of view that kind of strips it away from the mystery that happens when somebody like when like they see the performance and it they their senses take it in and the meaning that somebody can create is like robbing people of that organic meaning that can be created from a work of art when you already have like a set point of view of how somebody is meant to like it's just very dry and very sterile and like it it strips it of it so and I noticed what was happening and like I kind of wanted to get away from that environment and I kind of thought oh maybe if I, I go continue my education go be around even more creative people who think different but it was kind of more of the same and that's like what my experience was at Yale but at the end of the day I'm really grateful for it because I got to you know kind of expand my understanding, my learning of the art form and and find ways to make it fit into what like I actually wanted to do. Cause like this path has all been like an esoteric astrology describes this. It's like the life experiences that you have kind of create this story, this narrative, like that your soul is trying to learn certain lessons through in order to like fully embody into like who you really are and like what feels natural to you. And like, relaxing into the, that flow. And yeah, I've had like interesting experiences throughout my life and been able to like meet people and learn from people that are very, very different from me while still like retaining my sense of identity and reality, especially with all of the agendas that are just swirling all around us, trying to like get us to fall into certain algorithms of thought to then like trigger the population into a certain you know, certain behaviors. And it's crazy to like have that perspective while the majority of people around you or the like the people that you love are still kind of plugged into that system. And that's I I find that for people who are on a spiritual path or who have had a spiritual awakening and consider themselves as souls having a human experience. That's also part of the lessons that we're here to learn. Like, how do how do we deal with that? How 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 do we cope with that in a way because, you know, we're not here to create division. We're here to find where the harmony is. That's what I fundamentally believe, because at the end of the day, and I mentioned I mentioned this on Sam's podcast the last time that I was on is like how Bill Hicks so eloquently put it that we are all one consciousness experiencing itself subjectively. And everybody's birth charts demonstrates what kind of personal perception lens, that kind of kaleidoscope that you're filtering reality through. And then I like to think of like, imagine the the vast imagination of an infinitely intelligent being who can keep track of all of these storylines, right? That all come together to, the, to make the cohesive, harmonious whole. And at the end of the day, God is trying to get to know itself, herself, himself, 
you know, pronouns are very limiting to talk about this infinite intelligence. Right. So then all of that kind of led me to to astrology and fi- like finding like my niche. Oh, like I this is like I'm I have this. This is a skill that like I can help people with this, like help people decode what the purpose, what their soul's purpose is, like what intention somebody came in incarnating into this life and how like being able to read your birth chart is kind of like the cheat codes to the matrix almost because it's built into the system that you would think like if you're just moving through life that this kind of stuff is just like it's not useful it's illogical irrational oh like you believe in that stuff and it's that's built into the system like that's built into the game to dissuade you from awakening to it all and so yeah I think I went on like 17 different tangents with like explaining my background, but that's just a little bit about me. <laughs> yeah, thanks. I appreciate all of that and gives us a lot to to work with here. I want to point to something you said about the fractalized dysfunction, right? Where we see a microcosm example of a cult and it's not an anomaly because the larger environment that it's supported by is inherently st- the dysfunctional and cult-like, but if you could tell us, I mean, I, you don't need to get too detailed, but what were some of the aspects of this cult that you were raised into? Could you tell us the name or or a little bit about yeah. its history? Absolutely. The name of it is, it, it's a majority like Latin American cult. It's all over Central and South America and in Europe, but less so, and, and definitely in the United States. And in Spanish, it's called La Luz del Mundo. In English, that would translate to the light of the world. And fun fact, the current leader was recently, a couple months ago, sentenced to 16 years, I believe, in prison. He had like 29 different accusations, allegations levied against him that were, I mean, true, that are the typical things. They're not even original. These cult leaders are not even original in how they set up their structures to fulfill their very, like, indulgently distorted whims. It's like all of the things that you can imagine that we don't even need to go into, but like very dark and distorted things of just basically stealing people's soul and siphoning their energy on all levels, sexually, emotionally, spiritually, physically, financially. It's that complete all encompassing exploitation. And so growing up, I was born in it. And my parents, my parents are both immigrants. And when they met in Southern California, they weren't a part of this cult. But because my mother had family members who were in it, they kind of just wanted us like what they thought was like a healthy religious structure. They just thought it was like a regular church, right? To raise their, their children in. But I don't think, I think my dad was more subconsciously aware of what was going on. And my father is a Gemini. So he's very like mercurial and like always thinking about the different scenarios and like always weighing things logically. But because, and this is a funny thing because it doesn't matter how logical you are, how educated you are, how smart you are. We all have these little like trap doors inside of us that are just basically our physical, biological need for connection and for validation as human beings that can be exploited by someone with a very psychopathic tendencies to just extract what they want from you. So at the end of the day, like it's not useful to like like think like oh if you're in a cult you must be naive you must be stupid you must be dumb like absolutely not it means you were vulnerable you were in a vulnerable state of mind and you outsourced your decision making to somebody who you perceived had more authority and more knowledge and more wisdom than you it's kind of it's kind of like 
you created this connection with them. It's like, okay, you're going to think for me. You've already done the thinking for me. I just have to slot myself in. It takes very little effort. And for somebody who is conditioned from childhood, right? So like people are able to be culted because of our childhood conditioning and our family of origin and how we grew up. If we grew up thinking that love was dysfunctional, obviously not consciously, but like the, if the people who were supposed to love you the most hurt you on purpose and that was okay for you, like it was normal for you to be emotionally blackmailed. It was normal for you to be enmeshed with your parents emotionally. It was normal for this emotional manipulation to happen later in life. We're set up to find and like magnetize these experiences until we consciously wake up to the, to the pattern and choose differently. So like all of these patterns are, are consistently present in these dysfunctional social dynamics that like they have to start with one person. It, It starts with an individual who is severely traumatized, who is trying to get their needs met. And ultimately it comes down to a coping mechanism. Like a cult leader is not necessarily consciously like, I'm going to start a cult. Like they are, they're unconsciously trying to get a need met that wasn't met in childhood, that need for connection. But the distortion is that they're doing it externally and exploiting others. So narcissists and psychopaths are very codependent people, right? That's why they need the supply. And like the bigger the ego and the like the, the, the less empathy one has is like the more you are capable of exploiting large groups of people in order to get those needs met. So at the end of the day, it's all centered around a severely traumatized child who is acting out their dysfunction and ruining so many people's lives and causing so much destruction in in the wake of it. And on the practical level, it looks like controlling the information that the people in the group consume. So no TV, no radio, no worldly music, this idea that we are part of this elite group. I truly, Mark, I believed that I was like, so special because I was associated to this group and at the same time worthless because that's what they would put in our head every day like you are only worth anything because of the apostle that's what the the leader that's what we called the leader because of his election so they pretended to be Christian but at the end of the day what they worshipped was this idea of somebody being elected by God this one special individual only he can talk to God only he has these special abilities this connection like the spiritual wisdom and and you need him without him. You are nothing like they would literally tell us, like, if you leave this place, like they program you with so much fear. And if you grew up, grow up in it as a child, it's normal. And you like you attach your self-worth and your identity to it. So then when anybody else tries to criticize that, it feels like a personal attack, which is why it's so difficult to deprogram somebody once they're deep into a cult, because their entire identity is enmeshed with the cause, with the group, with the leader, any criticism of them is a criticism of me. And you can, and right there is a plain example of how it's all based in ego and all based in manipulation because nothing can penetrate. If you believe in something so hardcore and that you are actually saving humanity by being a part of this group, 
it can justify so many unspeakable behaviors. Like there's no morality. And the ironic thing is that they think that they're the most moral people on the planet, but they can justify any kind of like disgusting thing because it's for it's for the group, it's for the leader. But back to like the more practical sense of what it looked like, it's controlling the information that you consume, controlling what you wear, very strict dress code, especially for women, subjugation of women, total like no valuing of like women at all. It's like all about like it's a total like a true patriarchy where women are just supposed to be subservient, seen and not heard like not taken seriously at all. And that kind of fosters its own dysfunction too, like amongst like women interacting with women, because then that hatred of women gets into us as well. And it's a very real thing. That's like, that it affects like how we treat each other. And at the end of the day, while you're supposed, while you think like you're going here to serve God, you're just going there to like, see what everybody else is wearing and criticize everybody and just like judge everybody. And so that was like the general environment, like very, very toxic control of everything, control of information, control of what you wear, like, like no freedom to do absolutely like to develop as a normal human being, because Things like dancing, like performing, the things that I love, like those things are basically banned unless you were doing it for the leader. So mm. if you're doing something for the leader, you can break all the rules because he would instantly be the one to forgive you in that moment. And they have their own holidays that we don't we wouldn't adhere to calendar holidays. Even to this day, like I don't fight with any like calendar holidays, which I wouldn't have anyway, because like now that like you see the matrix for what it is, like it is another cult. Like it's like a cult inside of a cult like you know like concentric layers of cult programming essentially so it's a total mind fuck i don't know if i could curse on your podcast oh please do yeah <laughs> you're more than welcome to and i i think it's it's really fascinating how you're able to notice these aspects in our larger culture due to this entrainment obviously for better because you've overcome that oppression and i'm really grateful but a lot of Folks that are listening can gain a lot of insight from this. And, you know, what you said about, you know, trying to convince people that they're in a cult and they just defend the cult because it's so entrenched in their identity. It's the same thing that we saw, you know, prior to 9-11 when you told people, you know, oh, this could have been an inside job. They're like, what are you talking about? I'm an American. We wouldn't do that to our own people. You know, I know what it means to be an American. And George Bush, he's an American, too. So I trust him, you know. And that's, I mean, that's a really old example. We could use a more recent example and probably not make it to YouTube. But we want the YouTube people to check this one out. <laughs> Yeah, but it's been it's been happening since the very beginning of time, mm. since the very first moment where one of our ancestors was able to feel like an I am was able to feel that like cosmic spark connection to source. There was somebody there to oppress it and to stamp it out. That's what I truly feel. It's like at the core of a lot of the, the dysfunction that we experience individually and collectively at the core of it is narcissism and codependency. It's this battle between our ego and our soul. And that's what I find is so beautiful about esoteric astrology, otherwise known as evolutionary astrology or soul-centered astrology, because it's truly a framework of meaning to be able to integrate these different 
like kind of polarized aspects of ourselves and to like harmonize that dysfunction. Cause ultimately like what I think this life is, is a struggle for the soul to transform the ego, to transform the personality so that we may embody our higher purpose and contribute something to the collective evolution. And if we're so resistant, if we're so married and tied to our egos and that singular point of view and not being able to like cultivate authentic, genuine empathy, there's no chance that we're going to be able to let that like, like Christ consciousness, like unconditional agape love into ourselves. If we can't even show that love to ourselves to be able to like relax that ego and see like, maybe there is something that I'm not seeing, but that is, that's the struggle, right? When you're living below the veil of consciousness and to like pierce that veil, it's an actually physically painful process. At least that's how I experience well, think about it. it. Think about it like this. We live our whole lives in the basement, most of us, in the basement of a six-floor mansion. And when we step out of that basement, the light literally hits us in the eyes and it's blinding. And for the first few minutes, you don't know what you're looking at. And then it starts to fade in. I mean, I can't claim ownership of that metaphor, but I did weasel it into this pretty well. <laughs> I love that metaphor. It's I good, love right? It. The, yes. And the I think it's very, when we're talking about like our psyche, right? It's, I find the metaphor of like the house, or you said like a six floor mansion, like there's something about architecture of the architecture of a home that is a very good metaphor for understanding our subconscious and our unconscious because it's like our conscious mind are the rooms that we know very well we like they're like they might be dirty they might be clean like they might need some maintenance but like we know what's there it could be the organized chaos depending on like like what is in your birth chart like you could see how you consciously process reality but then when we get into the aspects of ourselves that are more primordial, that are formless, that are so subjective that we have probably gone our entire lives without hearing somebody describe with words how we feel, like when we can access those parts of us is what is that is the key to our liberation, the key to like, I can only describe it's like an unraveling of like the tightness that we have, like in our chest, like, like, you know, that feeling, right. When somebody challenges you or like when you've been in situations where you're like, I'm right. And I know I'm right. And I'm committed to like, and sometimes those situations are real, right? Like sometimes you are right. Sometimes you are in the right, but like our ego is so identified with that with what that feeling of being right of being secure because obviously as humans like we have a fundamental need to like feel secure that's what our ego yearns for security and our soul yearns for like wholeness for integration so like we have it's almost like these competing energies or that kind of describe the contrast even like if we get down to like the subatomic level of like the actual like physical like like I don't know like why I'm describing why I'm doing this motion, but it's just like things that need to have tension that need to rub up against each other in order for meaning to be made or in order for that to be perceived. And it's crazy because you could feel it on an emotional, spiritual level, but then also on a physical level, especially like when you're in the thick of like going through a spiritual awakening, when you experience the physical symptoms and you think like you're actually legitimately going crazy. And it's just wild because we live in a society where we don't, 
we don't hold up the shamans and the guides and the teachers that are here to like guide the rest of us through. Cause imagine like, we're all just kind of little kids. Like our inner children are like walking around, like wounded and hurt and with no kind of direction. So we're seeking answers outside of ourselves and ultimately like what, like whatever it is, the tool that we gravitate towards, whether it's like meditation, whether it's psychedelics, what, whatever it is, like the path, the, those things resonate with us for a reason because our soul is like, come on, like we got to, and especially now I feel like time is like more accelerated. Things are happening much more quicker. So more people are going towards like these external tools to be able to like get like inside of themselves and go within, which I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But at the end of the day, we are designed to do that naturally. But in a culture that in, like encourages us to disconnect from that, it's almost like we don't even remember that we have that ability. And one more thing I'll like, because I feel like I go on so many like rants and I just go off. But like when I think about art, because that was the tool, that was the external thing that kind of like led me to like my spiritual journey was through art and through theater and through like very on a physical level when you see an emotion being represented outside of you in this creative Neptunian Venusian way, there are literal mirror neurons that are being activated in your mind that are figuring out how does this relate to me? How does this relate to the puzzle pieces, the math equation of my life? How can this help me heal? We're always trying to heal. When we get cut, when we're injured, our body automatically sends white blood cells to like go heal that wound. It's automatic. We're always trying to heal ourselves, whether it's physically, emotionally, and spiritually, but we're not obviously consciously aware of it, right? Like I have, a, I cut my foot the other, like last year and I wasn't aware, like now I look at the scar, I'm like, it's completely healed. I didn't have to think about it. Like I naturally healed myself. We just have to get out of our own way at the end of the day. Yes. And I'm, I'm starting to want to do that motion too. Cause I, I think the tension, it releases energy and that energy takes the path of least resistance to wherever the deficit is constantly trying to complete the, the circuit. Right. I mean, that's, yes. that's why so many of these lessons that we learn in life come with a trauma, or maybe we didn't realize that the trauma is connected to the lesson. Cause there's some time in between, but I would argue that most of our lessons in life are are related in some way in a causal way to a trauma i mean it's just you you, you burn your hand and you realize that fire is not good to play with fire can be <laughs> your friend but not when it's burning in your palm <laughs> yes and it's so interesting that you meant you because you mentioned the word trauma and time and lessons and those three key words are, are what is are associated with the energy of Saturn and Saturn in the birth chart and in esoteric astrology and traditional astrology is associated with our karma, with our hard lessons, with the cycles of time that we like, can, like these experiences that we go through in order like, oh, you didn't get it this time. You're going to do it again. You're going to do it again. And I feel like, because I don't know, maybe it's like the environment or like the people that I'm around, like so many of our lessons are having to do with interpersonal relationships and how we are able to like co-mingle, co-exist, co-relate with others in a, where we're inevitably going to trigger each other because we're two, like we're two different subjective points of awareness, interrupting infinity, then like intermingling with each other. Like it's like this foreign energy that like, whoa, like 
you're making me feel things that I don't like to feel like. And I'm not saying in a scenario of like when somebody's actually legitimately causing you harm, but like in, in the way where it's inevitable because we're interacting with another, we're going to come up with we're going to come up against that tension. Right. And so that's why I find like to folk like to look at Saturn in your birth chart and to like think about this energy, especially now when Saturn is in Aquarius and it's going to be in the sign of Aquarius until March 7th of next year where it goes into Pisces, where it's like this time is about re-examining how we relate to each other, how we relate to ourselves, first of all, how then we relate to each other on a one-to-one level to then the wider society as a whole and re-examining these structures and systems and coming to the awareness that they're not serving us. They're not serving the needs of the collective. They're serving the needs of a very elite few who have no empathy for the rest of the collective. And the more humanity awakens to this, this is the exciting thing because there is hope like in the storyline, they want us to believe that it's hopeless, that there's like, it's all downhill, downhill from here. Like, no, we are in the thick of the plot. Like the story's not over yet. Like it's exciting. And then when we incarnate in our next lifetime, we're going to be a, a part of the plot again. And ultimately we are getting to harmony. We're working our way towards harmony. And when we think about it from that perspective, it like helps it like it helps me relax a little bit because even though like in the here and now we could be going through these very difficult times these these struggles that seem to be challenging the very essence of us and like seem to like is it even worth it to go on and at the end of the day yes it is worth it to go on because we all incarnated with a purpose everyone is here with a we all have a role we are all actors in this play earth is where it's at the earth play I love that. I love that you make that point because we were planning on getting to that at some point. Sorry for the little lag. I just had to turn something off that just popped up. So when we're looking at the various houses of the Zodiac, especially in the context of history with the ages, right? We're, we've all heard the term age of Aquarius. We, most of us are familiar that we left the age of Pisces. But I've always felt like that phrase, the world is a stage, fits into astrology more than maybe any other subject. Maybe it's even, you know, directly hinting at that because it feels like we as a, a, a collective sort of go through these phases that resemble not only the phases we go through in our own, you know, smaller scale of time as an individual human being, but they also sort of reflect where we are in relationship with that house of the zodiac and then also where the rest of us are in relation to that like total sign that kind of right so it's like we're still dealing with the whole menagerie the concophony of the planets but right now aquarius is dominant right and mm -hmm. and i'm i'm wondering like in terms of theater like do you think that maybe there are people who are meant to play like the lower end of the spectrum, the villains of the, of the plot, you know, like they're designed, like for whatever they were born under, you know, it's like they're cued in like, okay, it's age of Aquarius, get to your badness. This is your time to get through this part of your karma. Wow. Mm. First of all, like I totally think William Shakespeare was an astrologer with that line, all the world's a stage and the men and women merely players like and some of his other plays like 
He definitely was tuned into it. And, you know, and of course, like the elites have always been aware of this archetypal energy. Like that's how, like they use the tools, they use the tools that are naturally available to us for their own benefit. You know, like it, this truly is a game and you have to learn how to, how to maneuver it. And when we think about like, your question is really interesting. Like if there are people that are meant to, to inhabit certain roles. And when we think about the archetypes of astrology and the different signs from Aries, Taurus, Gemini, Cancer, all the way to Pisces, every sign has its archetypal premise and every premise has its lowest expression and its highest expression. So for example, like an, an energy in astrology that people are obsessed with, that's always like you think about it, it's like, ooh, kind of like dark and edgy, mysterious, like sexual taboo is like the sign of Scorpio. That's Sam's sun sign. And which was like so interesting. I'm like, of course he's a Scorpio. And I saw that. So like if we use like, let's use Scorpio as an example, we can think about like the more mundane kind of manifestation of Scorpio that has to do with all the things that I just mentioned. That's a very superficial understanding of it. But when we go deeper, it, it's literally the energy of your root chakra and of your inner resources and how you manage your inner resources in order to merge with another person. Because Scorpio is talking about that deep intimacy that we share with other people. That's why it talks about sex and that kind of energy. Very plutonic, very like merging. And in the shadow aspect, Aspect of that when it's not in its divine expression is this very enmeshed codependent toxic thing so like you you see like these stereotypes when you look at astrology memes it's like oh like the love from a scorpio is just like all encompassing because it's like very it's like a, it could it could fall into like that obsessive energy so like and when we think about like if we look like what's like a, a somebody who's in power right now like a psychopath like if we like the president of our country like if we look at his chart somebody can look at it and say like oh well he has this like can do like a very kind of superficial reading of it but when you take into account how it's manifesting into his life and the harm that he's causing to so many people based on what he's willing to concede what energy he's like falling into the shadow aspects it makes sense right so like me as an astrologer I can look like I could look at the uh, the chart of a serial killer and be like it actually makes sense why he's a serial killer. That doesn't mean I'm condoning that action, right? But like, it makes sense. Well, and it's there's the, a particular... It's the lowest expression of his potential, right? There's a an inverted potential there where that person mm -hmm. maybe is like a, a school bus driver and they're really inspirational to kids. And then there's yeah. the inverted thing where they're like a creepy ice cream truck driver and they're doing creepy shit you know like the, there's yeah. two there's two spec there's a whole spectrum right and you mm -hmm. fall on mm -hmm. either side definitely there's definitely a spectrum of energetic expression that and like those individual people are trying to work out that harmony from the for themselves it's just like who's gonna win is your ego gonna win or is your soul gonna win you know what i mean like it's like they have a choice. They have a choice to embody. Like I see my, I'm like, I could see my shadow in my birth chart. I can def and I definitely see like, depending on my circumstances and what I'm going through me, like falling into that and knowing like, oh, like I'm like, and giving myself allowance sometimes to fall into the shadow, to get to know that side of me, like, oh, I'm capable of this too. And the more people are like, so convinced 
of their egos, so convinced that they are their identity that they identify with, the more we fall into the shadow because it's all about the ego and the more that energy manifests, right? And so, because it's to realize that like, oh, I have a soul, it would mean that you would need to let empathy in. You would need to like create the capacity to be able to take, like make the interests of another your interest. And that's what like the, that's what I think love actually is, is being able to like have the best interests of somebody else and yours and realize that at the end of the day, you're like the best interest, like it's all in our best interest. If I take on your best interest as mine, like I love you, like that is love. Like it's not necessarily, it's not this like, what can I give you? What can you give me? Like you need to like soothe me. You need to text me back right now. Like that's not love. Like, so in a way, like, and I love thinking about like the multiverse and like simulation theory, because if we, if we exist on like multiple levels of consciousness and then there are other realities, maybe in another reality, the person who is like a murderer in this lifetime is expressing their highest potential in another kind of reality that isn't in a 3d form or whatever it is. And, you know, it gets kind of into the territory. I know like it get like, especially when you talk to like other people in the spiritual community that are not necessarily as tuned into like these kind of more like subtle nuances, it can get into like the controversial territory where people think, oh, well, you're justifying abuse. Like you're justifying these things like, oh, they're they're just playing out their soul's purpose. They're playing out their karma. But I don't know if that level of perception really applies when we're talking about how these archetypes are interacting with each other, right? If we are like the final extension, a physical extension of like non-physical energy and all like diff, like if we are literally like a, like one point of subjective awareness that's like funneling through all of the other energy in the non-physical, like is all of the non-physical energy concerned whether or not like certain things play out in a moral way on the earth plane. I don't necessarily think so, but that might be kind of controversial. I feel it that it's kind of controversial, like as I say it, because I can see how it can be used to manipulate someone to say like, because that's what happens in cults. They use spiritual principles to manipulate you. It's like, well, like for example, in the cult that I was in, they had a special group called, in Spanish, it was pronounced, El Grupo Harem, which in English directly translates to harem. And I can't like this is how twisted psychopaths are because they'll literally tell you what you're what they're doing. They're literally telling us the leader has a harem and nobody's like questioning it of like a harem of underage girls. But and they're being abused. But in their mind, it's like, no, this is my blessing. So it's like, no, but th- this is your soul's purpose is be it's to be able to satisfy the leader in this way. Like even they use Bible verses to to justify it and stuff. And that just doesn't just happen in like Christian based cults. It can happen in new age type of cults as well, where spiritual leaders like take their wisdom as a kind of excuse to then like mistreat and gaslight their followers and i'm just gonna plug in my laptop real quick because yeah, i feel like go i'm ahead. gonna lose charge go ahead yeah I, i've heard about these sorts of groups in costa rica seems to be sort of a an interesting place for young people from the united states seeking a, a more diverse spiritual culture and unfortunately there are predators that set themselves up as you know spiritual groups in order to essentially 
create a cult for themselves and it it, yeah. it runs the gamut i mean there's that whole you know john of god character who you know i think that gets into other realms of like you know outside of just some random cult this group seemed to have connections outside of its singular you know cell so to speak but yeah, it's it's fascinating. I understand why that would be perceived as controversial, but it's also sort of one-sided if somebody doesn't understand that you're not saying that's simply the cause, right? I mean, there's a multitude mm -hmm. of factors that determine how a person might end up, so to speak, but it's like, you know, who knows? Maybe their lowest expression came out in that way because the entire global consciousness is going through something that's really tough right now and so many people have really lost touch with reality so mm. how many of us are actually like putting care and focus to that trauma mm. that our whole mm. collective is going through right it, to me mm -hmm. fringe malevolent people tend to be expressing sort of that trauma in a sort of like you know it, it it's like that energy builds up and it explodes in certain mm -hmm. people who who cuz we're all dealing with that energy but some of us yeah. you know maybe through nature nurture and then our karmic wheel and of course our astrological that's a good word for aspects you know mm -hmm. because it, you make a really good point of saying it's like it's it's your ego's interpretation or it's it's an interactive it's not like oh you're a libra so you're like this or you're a gemini so you're like this it's it's a very dynamic relationship and it's so different for each person so yeah i i don't think anyone should make a conclusion that oh well they're a psycho because they're a <laughs> they're a insert zodiac sign here you know yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that like, that's a really good point that you make. And it, I don't know why, but the when the Amber Heard Johnny, De Johnny Depp trial was going on, I got very curious about, well, what was their kind of interaction? Because in astrology, we can see how two people interact by putting their charts on top of each other and seeing what connections and contacts their planets are making. And depending like what archetype that planet, like that particular actor is like interacting with that actor and the angles that they make describe the like the tension between them and when I looked at her particular birth chart I found something very interesting because she had her son her Taurus son directly opposite from Pluto and Scorpio and those are two very intense energies already they're both fixed signs which means that they're very committed to their point of view and they're very slow to change and when you think about what the sun represents in astrology is basically the ego your subjective egoic lens of reality and what Pluto represents is the point of deepest soul evolution. And when they're directly opposite each other, it's almost like they're fighting. They're staring each other down. And for her, like just using her as an example, like that particular soul lesson is like that just it points to a lot of physical, emotional, spiritual discomfort with being able to like accept that your subjective experience isn't the objective reality and like the the way those planets were in relationship to each other really showed like she was not going to give up she was not going to give up her subjective point of reality all the and, and it unwound in this very public display this like 
this theater that her ego caused her to create because she was so uncomfortable with recognizing her own, like the ways that she was being destructive to herself and then being disruptive to others. And obviously like he wasn't innocent in the situation. It's all like, it's an interdynamic play of like all of these energies and triggers and stuff. So that's just an example of how like in one individual it can play out. But like, Obviously, when we look at like today, I was looking at like the transits that are going on to no, like a couple days ago, the planet Mercury was directly opposite to the planet Neptune. And that is kind of like our logical mind, our reasoning, our rational analytical abilities and like things that are just having to do with like direct exchange, like logical exchange, like buying things, goods and services directly opposite the planet of illusion and delusion and dreaminess and of merging of boundaries. So on an individual level, somebody who's like more, who has like Neptunian energy in their chart would be able to like actually like physically feel that or like tangibly see it in their lives. Like, whoa, yeah, I'm like realizing that somebody was lying to me. Somebody was like not being totally honest. Like I was buying into this illusion And then on a grander scale, we could see that, oh, well, there are lies being told around communication, like communicating through lie. Like that's just like a superficial reading of what a particular aspect can mean. But through looking at the birth chart and just what the transits are doing, you can see kind of what lessons the collect collective humanity is going through particularly in the united states because we have so much influence over the entire world and like the birth chart of the united states is quite interesting like the united states is a cancer so and cancer okay this is exciting because cancer has to do with this energy of the home and our emotional nurturing and what we do to nourish ourselves and how we take care of ourselves and that early emotional conditioning processing patterns and our sensitivity and a very like sensitive like intimate private part of us but when it's in the shadow part it could be like it Cancer energy represents patriotism and also racism, like like in its true, true, true shadow aspect, because it's the most subjective point of our awareness. And when you uh, and when you only look at reality through your subjective point of view and you allow all your shadows to like encompass your entire awareness, like why wouldn't you be racist? Like why what like racism is manifesting in our country in a myriad of different ways that aren't necessarily the ways that we're trying that we're being propagandized with, but the energy is present, like it's there. And so the United States having this like heavy cancerian energy and having this influence over the entire world, it's like having to deal with those deeply, deeply rooted patterns of codependency and how our government basically wants us to be super dependent on them and wants us wants us to yield to their authority. Tell me what to do. Give me money. It's a very enmeshed codependency that is not sustainable. And so I feel like that as a country is something that we're dealing with. And currently the planet Pluto is transiting the sign of Capricorn, which is directly is the opposite sign of cancer. So cancer and Capricorn is this energetic access that talks about like the mother and the father authority and nurturing codependency and independency, like going after your goals or stewing in like your limitations and feeling sorry for yourself. And it's like this energy that 
that basically everybody is feeling like all over the world. It's like, how, how are we going to forge new systems and structures that revere and respect our divine free will and liberate us from these codependent patterns of relating to authority structures that, you know, since the beginning of time when like monarchy, like we see it falling apart and we see like the humanity awakening, having this awakening, this consciousness awakening to figuring out like, do we even need leaders? Like, do we need these people at top of these hierarchies that aren't actually leaders? We're, we're, coming to the awareness that like they are controllers. And when we look at it at an even deeper spiritual perspective, like whose interests are they controlling? Like this like spiritual warfare that's going on. It, it has very real material manifestations, but also like very spiritual manifestations as well. Mm. I feel I tried to make I tried to like make all of that make sense. I oh, hope it yeah. makes sense. Oh, this is great. Very very comprehensive explanations. I appreciate it. And I'm glad you brought up the idea of the sign of a place or the astrology of a physical place. And you mentioned the United States being a cancer. I assume July 4th, 1776, right? So that would make it a cancer. Mm -hmm. So we can mm -hmm. essentially look at the founding of places and determine a sort of birth date for them. And I haven't done this yet with New Haven, but from my analysis of the sort of energy and the symbology, we've determined it's pretty Saturnian. There's a lot of Saturn elements in New Haven. And I actually had a Reiki energy practitioner on the show recently who has spent time in New Haven as well as you have. And uh, she did a distance healing session for the city of New Haven. And one of the things that she noted, she's also versed in astrology, is that the Saturn energy of New Haven has shifted and Jupiter is now coming into play. And it's not just New Haven that's experiencing this. I think the whole world is now sort of falling under Jupiter's influence, whereas before Saturn would have been more dominant. And it's interesting because New Haven kind of reflects that in its history. It started off with a sort of promising future and then they kind of dwindled off and luckily Yale was born there so they sort of sustained themselves and distinguished themselves otherwise it would have been you know indistinguishable from Bridgeport or Branford or any of the other places around but because of Yale being there it's sort of like that shift from Saturn to Jupiter because you have this sort of royal influence with mm. with Jupiter and obviously Yale is kind of connected to royalty in some way through England and, and Cambridge and Oxford. But yeah, I'm curious, what are your thoughts on on that? And, and just the general concept of determining the sign of a place. Yeah, it's super interesting because Jupiter is also associated with the sign of Sagittarius, which is all about higher principles and higher learning and like kind of like that master mastery energy that like doctorate PhD kind of vibe. So it makes sense that that planetary influence is being like more felt in New Haven, particularly, but absolutely any. So astrology is beautiful because when you think about it, like it's a way to peek into the matrix code. So whether it be a person, a place, an object, an idea, like if we look like I've actually been super interested and like unhealthily obsessed, I think with some of the social movements online, particularly on TikTok, like I see like, 
movements that make sense for the astrological energy. So like I try to like make it make sense. But at the same time, like because of my I don't know, just like my analysis is not necessarily something that I resonate with. So, for example, like some I don't know if you've heard of like the fat liberation movement. So it's this movement, I think it started in the 70s, where a group of activists who conceptualized their lived experience as being oppressed because they are fat. And so their movement like and their body, ideology, body positive, right? That's yes. the term. Okay. Like I, I've heard of this. version of body positivity. Okay. Yeah. Like they, the way fat liberation activists talk about body positivity is just like, they talk, they talk about how, like, if you're like into underground hip hop and you're like disparaging the mainstream, they're like mainstream body positivity. It's like corporate uh, whitewash. Yeah. So it's a whole yeah. subculture. Wow. And when I think about the planetary influences, like I definitely think about Jupiter because Jupiter is this archetypal energy that talks about expansion. And it's not just expanding your mind like in a philosophical way, but also like physically, like we think about like if like it, it kind of I have to be careful when I sp I feel personally like I have to be careful when I talk about these things because I am like an empathetic person and I never want to like personally offend somebody. But when I'm talking about these principles is like, kind of like from a wider perspective. So not talking about any one individual, but like when you see, I've seen the charts of people who have suffered with obesity and with their body image. And Jupiter is an ask, like a planet that can, you can look to, to see like weight things that happen for people, like for whatever reason, like this is why astrology is such a useful tool because it depersonalizes it a little bit and it detaches our ego from being like, oh, well, you know, you know, that thing that can happen because it's something so personal to people like their body image and their weight. But when I look at like when that movement started, Jupiter was in a prominent position in relationship to the planet Uranus and with this energy of Aquarius and the 11th house in astrology, which talks about large groups of friends and networks and the wider society. So you can see how like these movements make sense, like everything, even all of the, dis the distortion, the propaganda, energetically, it makes sense. It's just about what are we tapping into? How are we expressing this energy? Like, for example, when Nancy Pelosi landed in Taiwan, I believe Mars uh, Mars was like in a hard, difficult aspect to another planet. I can't remember what it was, but like, oh, these people, like they're so either we're like truly, truly tuned in or they're they are aware they plan these events. I think Ronald Reagan wouldn't make any decision without consulting his personal astrologer like these people are definitely aware of the energies that are going on and they use it for their advantage. So for example, right now, the planet Uranus is transiting the sign of Taurus and Taurus, like fundamentally at its archetypal principle, it's having to do with creating beauty out of form or like revealing beauty, like beauty already exists, but the like with our human tools, we are able to like create or like decipher the beauty that already exists. And that frac like that fractals out into like what we find valuable. And so with the planet Uranus of destruction to, to innovate, it's like this creative kind of genius level destruction that has to happen in order for new systems and new ways of thinking and being and conceptualizing paradigms can be born out of like, I remember before I started like really studying what these archetypes meant, I would be, I would 
analyze like the social movements that are going on in society and being really angry about it. Like these people are ruining the world, like they're brainwashing everybody. And like, while that might be true, it also makes sense like energetically why it's going on. But like, because we live in a culture that's already like layered with distortion on top of distortion, obviously like on a wider like level we're gonna resonate more towards the dysfunction and that's just like one example of how it can play out like so like back to the mars thing like mars is is a planet that is like symbolizes that initiate initiatory spark like the the will to initiate the archetypes of humanity for like humanity's evolution it's just about like impetus and action but they choose to use this planetary energy for their agenda so like we can we could do that too like we have obviously like our own agendas our soul has an agenda like whether or not we're going to achieve it in this lifetime or not like so if we are aware of what's going on energetically within our chart and being aware of what's going on for the wider society we can we are able to kind of apply it to our own practical day-to-day life and really get to know ourselves on a very deep level. So for example, in my chart, in the house, in the sixth house, which is the house in astrology that talks about our day-to-day routines and our work, it's kind of like nine to five daily grind, the meticulous, like logical steps that you have to take in order to reach a goal. Cause that is an archetypal energy that is a part of the human experience. Tangent, like our astrology helps you realize that a lot of like things that are in the spiritual community that you can fall into that like soothe your spiritual ego of like, oh, love and light. Like I'm just manifesting this. It's going to magically, it kind of puts you back into reality. Like, no, like there are logical steps to this reality. Like it's the world of the flesh. Like there are things that actually, yes, magic is real, but also like real hard work is also real. And depending on like how your energy is configured is going to show you like how that's going to play out. But particularly for me, I have the planet Neptune in my sixth house, which kind of like, if you were just to like superficially look at that, you could be like, Oh, like you're just like messy. You're disorganized. Like you kind of just are floating. Like you just want to get high. And yeah, like I do want to do all the, like I can, like I can be very messy, very lazy, like having like no boundaries. I'm like, Oh, it'll get done. Like my to-do list, like, yeah, let me go to the park and like smoke. Like that is Neptune in the sixth. And I want to do that every day. Like that's an every, like the energy is there, but because I know that I can actually consciously work towards incorporating that Neptunian energy and it's more divine manifestation. So whereas before I was using my energy, like in my career before as an astrologer, I was kind of like serving others because Neptune is also this energy of unconditional service to like in in your day-to-day life, which is what I enjoy. Like I love helping people. I love being useful, but it was a way in, in a way that was like not truly aligned with like what I wanted to do for myself. But instead of falling into that shadow aspect of having a planet like that in that house, it can also be translated into like, well, what if you're creative every day? Cause Neptune is also that 
like higher octave of creativity and a fine art and of like inspiration and of spirituality. So, and that's what I'm working towards building that now, like building a stable day-to-day routine that's tied to my spirituality, having conversations like this with you about esoteric topics, doing astrology every day and maybe smoking a joint. Like it, it's all about how the energy manifests, you know, and it helps you kind of like shed the shame Cause like for me, like the way I was raised in the cult, like everything being very regimented, like it's like, oh, I'm not doing enough. Like I'm like actually like beating myself up for like not being able to like live up to these expectations that society sets up for you. But when you look at your chart, you're like, I'm not supposed to, I'm not supposed to be doing that. So you can break out of that preset conditioning and like give yourself permission to just embody the natural energy that you have for yourself. Like I'm not supposed to fit into a regular nine to five job. I'm literally not supposed to. Mm. It's right there in my chart. Like it's, I could, but it's going to be very uncomfortable. You know what right. I mean? Right. So, right. Yeah. It's you, what you're reminding me of is like the difference between skill and luck or maybe more properly intuition. Right. And some mm. people who have the right balance of both do really great things in in many different areas. I mean, sports probably comes to mind for a lot of people, but art works through the same methodology. And and even what we're doing right now is a skill, podcasting and communicating mm-hmm. effectively. And this has been very effective. I'm I'm loving all the ideas you're bringing up. One thing that you brought up before about planets and their influence on us, and and how you're you're sort of tracking the movements, particularly political movements. It reminds me of a phrase: "People don't have ideas; ideas have people." And I'm wondering, like, do you think that maybe? constellations and planets have this sort of egregore that's been built up over time and now that is sort of operating its will of its own through us and its interaction with us you just blew my mind like with that question i'm like wow that is an amazing question and the fact that you use the word egregore i'm like wow wow but like that's yes i totally resonate with what you just stated because I like to describe them as like energetic signatures, like, and the more time, energy, vibratory influence is fed to these energetic signatures, the more they have like a real tangible material effect and the more real they are to people. Like if we think about, say, like the most popular archetypal energetic signature on planet Earth right now, we could say like we can argue that it's Jesus Christ in like a religious way. Like so many people are thinking about Jesus wherever you are on the planet. There's somebody thinking about Jesus at whatever point in time. And because there's so much energy being like beamed to this figure, this energy that we know as Jesus, which in like and from an esoteric astrological perspective i think that energy is jupiter is this like when we think about the right hand of the father like jupiter's like right next to saturn so and like saturn's like the father so jupiter is like this jesus type of energy that brings luck and unconditional love and higher principles and like this like very very positive positive energy with jupiter like the the divine manifestation of jupiter is like this higher wisdom that like just helps you like 
come to a certain sense of peace about your circumstances because you can look at it from a higher perspective. And that's kind of like what the archetype of Jesus Christ is here kind of teaching us. So when we think about like these planets might have an agenda, right? They might have something that they're trying to express, like what narrative, what story are they trying to work out? And when we think about all of these parts as like, like parts of ourselves, but also parts of God, parts of that infinite intelligent consciousness that like, you know, we have darkness inside of us. Like, why wouldn't that intelligence also have a darkness, right? That's kind of manifesting itself and working towards that way. Because at the end of the day, like, like, it's easy to think of it as like, well, there are the good guys and there are the bad guys. Well, what if we're all one family and there's a member of the family who is an uncle who is molesting the little kids in the family, right? Like we're still a part of a family. There's somebody in the family who's doing something that is very destructive, very harmful and very evil. And the family seems to like not want to say anything about it because it will destroy the structure of the family. We'll, we'll, we'd rather deal and not talk about what's really going on in order to preserve this illusion. So I think what we're doing collectively and what like this infinite intelligence is doing is trying to not hide from itself. And that's kind of scary. That's so scary. Like on an individual level, like if we think about like, how would I be different if I didn't hide from myself? If I truly witnessed the darkness inside of me for what it is and I didn't resist it. Like if I truly accepted that I'm capable of doing horrible things simply because I'm a human and not because I have any desire or motivation to do it, but because I have the tools accessible to me, like to think of the capacity to do that and to not hide from yourself. Like as we stop hiding from ourselves and start leaning into the truth of what reality is, because we want to hide from things that are uncomfortable. Like things are taboo for a reason. Like, and astrology kind of demonstrates like even how, consciousness is patterned in a way to like hide from ourselves because depend like especially western astrology it's very much geared towards the western psyche and it's very different from the vedic eastern astrology that like prioritizes the moon sign more which is the unconscious so like they're more into like that's like this conflict between east and west right and we're like in this kind of weird energetic soup trying to mesh the two and try to create an understanding of the two and finding the value in, in each one and the balance, the yin, the yin and the yang. But when we're doing it, like on a real practical level through shadow work, through studying our birth chart, it can be very uncomfortable. So that's why it takes so freaking long. Like we're going through these cycles of time. Like that's why like the Eastern and Vedic perspective is like more all encompassing. We could think, oh, it makes sense. Humanity's going through this lesson. Like we're still like, we haven't awakened to this aspect of our collective consciousness just yet. And so we're going through these lessons over and over again to finally awaken. Like we can't hide from ourselves anymore. And the people who point out that we're hiding from ourselves are the black sheep. They are the scapegoats. They are the conspiracy theorists. They're the crazy ones. They're the ones that are vomited out by the power structure. They're the ones that are actually pushed to the margins. And it's, it's a great tool to be able to have, to, to like zoom out and have that perspective and then like bring it back into our practical 
everyday life in the here and now, because that's how I feel like we're all we're if we truly just align with what like who we actually are, we're, we stop resisting our evolution, I think is what we need to stop resisting our natural healing. We need to stop getting in our own way. And at this point in humanity's evolution, I feel like we're more focused on like the cognitive aspect of it. Like it needs to make logical sense to us before the rest of like the steps can carry on. And I feel like, yeah, it's going to take, it's going to take more time. Definitely. Like, obviously, but Mm. I don't know. Like I find like my brain is almost like exploding right now with all the different tangents, the tabs that I have open. (laughs) Well, let's see. Maybe we have something in correspondence. So where I was thinking of going was, well, the question I had is how much does our parents' astrological signs determine, you know, and, and even can we learn anything from going back nine months from our birthday and seeing, you know, what the energy was like when we were conceived. I mean, how how much of that plays a factor into our our life? I think it plays a fa- it plays it plays a significant role that we even me like as like you're asking the question I'm like, "Yep, he's going there because it's it it's all significant even though we don't want it to be. We don't we don't like necessarily want to think that like something that had nothing to do with us at a certain point of t- in time, even like before we were born, that actually has a real tangible effect on how our personality is patterned and how we perceive reality. But the truth is that it does. And I'll give you like an example just from my chart. Like in astrology, there's an asteroid called Chiron, which archetypal- archetypally represents our our deepest core wound. Some astrologers say that it's an unhealable wound. I don't necessarily subscribe to that because that's too fatalistic for me, but it is this point of deep, tender wounding that goes on in in my opinion, like in the womb and then before the womb, because it's a very kind of early primordial trauma. And that's how I interpret it because I have this, this placement in my first house, which in astrology demonstrates like your your personality and like your physical body and it's this and it's sitting right on top of my ascendant which is the sign that was rising over the eastern horizon at the the exact moment of your birth and the degree that 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 placement is in can also tell you a little bit a little bit if we get into numerology and stuff and my core wound basically is around identity and feeling like I'm not even supposed to be here. I wasn't even supposed to be born because I wasn't even thought of before my parents realized that my mom was pregnant. And it's like they planned every single one of their children except for me. And they spelled my name wrong on my birth certificate when I was born. And my father wasn't even in the hospital room when I was born because he had to go see the cult leader speak. So it's all of these things that happened that I wasn't even like aware or participating in, but are there in my birth charts, like because it's in the sign of Leo around self-expression, the father, because the son, like even though it's your ego, like your father is the person who gives you like that core, like righteous confidence or like that, like that fatherly figure is supposed to give you that in early childhood. And if it's missing, you're going to have a part of your identity that feels like I'm searching for something outside of me to like make me feel 
whole. And and depending on what sign that asteroid is in and what aspects, like what contacts it's making to other planets, it can help us decode like what that wound truly is and how we can alchemize and heal it and then be able to help other people with similar wounds heal that as well. Whether it just be people that we encounter in our life or if we like are somebody who goes into a helping profession, whether like however it is that you help people, you can help people heal that same wound in themselves. Like that phrase, like healed people, heal people and hurt people, hurt people. It's a cliche, but it's actually true. And because like, like, for example, like my parents are very logical people, like not logical in the sense that like, I mean, they were both in a cult, so they weren't like super logical in that way. But I'm think- like the way they perceive reality, it's not really on an emotional, spiritual plane, like in a real authentic way. It's more kind of like in a soothing the ego kind of way of a spirituality. And so all of their children, me, my sister, my brother, we all have heavy cancer energy. So you can see what is the family karma by like, what the what planetary influences are dominant in the parents so for my parents it happens to be mercury because my father is a gemini and my mom is a virgo and they're heavily like they have stelliums which in astrology it just means like an extra concentration of that you have like three or more planets in that particular sign and mercury isn't a planet that's concerned with emotions mercury is about logic like quickness and wit and just like relating with people to get to know people like on a cerebral mental way not necessarily on a spiritual emotional way which isn't good or bad that's just the archetype that Merck is about and like the more emotional archetype is the moon which rules the sign of cancer and that has to do with our subjective irrational experience that makes no sense in the logical world like the moon like pulls it pulls in and out the tides of course it's going to have an effect on us as human beings and when I've, I've examined that, like, and in the charts of other people, like what elements and what energies are dominant in their parents. And then what elements happen to be dominant in the children, you can see the parents karma. Like if you have children with like a lot of cancer energy, like your children are teaching you to have more empathy. And me as like a a cancerian with mercurial parents, they're teaching me to be more logical. And but if we're not aware of this, our egos just get so enmeshed and like tied in conflict and we get triggered and we don't understand why our parents are like this and parents don't understand why their children are like this. And then that's when generational trauma happens because all of these dysfunctional relating patterns then get passed down the bloodline until somebody is brave enough to say no more. Like our family bloodline is done with this. We're getting healthy. You guys, it's time to get healthy. (laughs) <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And I mean, that's in a way what I'm doing with this show. My family thinks I'm crazy because I'm telling them like, hey, I'm not a part of this tradition in the same way you are, because for the first time, it seems I'm questioning radically what this world really means. And I don't know who passed that down to me. Maybe it existed in my family prior to me. But right now, I'm the black sheep, so I, I think they all like listening to the, the show. Some of them tune in, which is nice to hear, but 
I don't know how how many of these ideas that we talk about that they actually fully subscribe to. Maybe they're just listening for gossip reasons to know, know what I'm up to. Well, I would to. be interested to see where your Saturn placement is in your chart because mm. that talks, it's the energy of karma, right? And then also your fourth house and your moon which would show a little bit about your relationship to your mother and the fourth house being like the bottom of the chart, the most private part, like the part of us that we don't show to people. And so, and all of that, like can tell us the story of our family and what energies are being played out. And yeah. Yeah. Well, it goes deep. It goes very deep. Yeah. It's interesting. You bring that up because my mom is, is, has a similar sign to me. I don't know. If she's a Sagittarius too, but I'm a, or actually, yeah. So she's a Capricorn sun and I'm a Capricorn moon. So there is definitely a connection between my mom and I in that way. So. Wow. I've been thinking about Capricorn moon a lot. I've been thinking about Capricorn moon, Aquarius moon, because it, it's a Saturnian moon. Mm. It's a, it's, Yeah. Yeah. Capricorn moon gets is very misunderstood, even in the the astrology community. It's if you it's like described as like, oh, they don't have feelings. They're cold. They're hard. They're distant. It's like, no, you're describing like key words of the archetype of Capricorn. But when we're talking about the moon in Capricorn, we're talking about this very tender part of us that has almost a shell, a beautiful shell of marble over it. And I I actually told this to Sam because he's a Capricorn rising. And so Saturn was very like heavy and like his influence stuff. Maybe I should, I don't know if like, if he's comfortable. Oh, I just thought like, oh, maybe he didn't want me to share that. But like, that's That's fine. People can see that from his birthday. Like I think his birthday is public online, but it's that Saturnian influence. that's very much considered with containing like having needing a container for those emotions and needing to feel safe and a very particular way of feeling safe like people feel safe based on developing trust with another person but trust isn't necessarily developed the same way for every sign you know like I have a Libra moon so I develop trust with people by talking to them constantly and like relating to them and being able to share similar experiences and being and them truly being able to like reflect what I say to them and then having them build back because Libra is this archetype of one-to-one relating and just like commitments with other people and social harmony so that's how I build trust with people but Capricorn is this energy of like responsibility and being like almost austere in a way and having like to hold it together but like the way the moon in esoteric astrology because the moon is like what we how we coped in our early childhood in order to deal with the most dominant nurturing energies and your mother being a capricorn moon like very much like focused on the material plane the material world is what capricorn is really about and like being very structured very strict like very much business like business oriented and it can be interpreted as a little bit of like that distance because saturn rules time and capricorn 
I love Capricorn energy because it is this energy that is like by any means necessary, I'm going to achieve what I need to achieve. I'm going to provide for my family. I'm going to protect my family by any means necessary. It's that opposition to cancer. So it's nurturing, but in a more paternal way and not necessarily in the feminine kind of like chaotic way, but in that and I, I, didn't, I don't mean to say like females are chaotic. That was really weird, a really weird thing that that just slipped out. But like I, I identify as chaotic. I am a very chaotic individual. But we're talking about like that container, contained chaos, beautiful contained chaos. And that's how like, and Capricorn moon is very artistic as well. Like you can create beautiful art with the Capricorn moon and people will be surprised by your art and by your depth they're like whoa I didn't like expect that from you like you seem like this kind of like kind of contained kind of distant person but like when you truly get to know somebody with a Capricorn moon like rich vivid inner world and it's like I don't it's interesting that we have that because I've been thinking about Capricorn and Aquarius moon Mm. Saturnian vibes yeah and, and maybe that explains my fascination with New Haven I I found not just the architecture to be sort of Saturnian, but the grid, the nine square grid that the original town was built around. It's interesting. The nine is not in the numerical place, whether you orient it from south to north or east to west. It's not in a numerical place. So I'm like, well, why would they make Mm. that square ninth square? It doesn't seem to make sense until... I saw the magic number square that they teach kids in a school. It's like kind of a number trick. You put the numbers one through nine in a three by three box in a particular mm-hmm. order, and they will every line will equal the same sum, no matter if you add it this way, this way, up, down, whichever mm-hmm. you know quadrant mm-hmm. you add up, it'll all equal the same sum. And this sum happens to be 15. One plus five equals six. Six is the, you know number of Saturn. So that's kind of uh, like the the technical, whoa, mm-hmm. what's that about? There's a whole bunch of other factors that I could get into. But, but yeah, I'm really fascinated by the energy of a place. And, you know, although we have a sort of set foundation, you know, America was founded on July 4th, 1776, so to speak. Does that sign change could it change over time i mean we have a sort of cancerian energy but some people would argue that the united states wasn't started in that time it could have been you know a few months earlier or afterwards maybe Mm -hmm. people say it wasn't until george washington actually became president that was like Mm -hmm. 10 years after Mm -hmm. the official declaration so Mm -hmm. yeah it is it is sort of up in the air but can we notice these things change over time? Yes, actually. So in astrology, there's something called a progressed chart because the stars move, the planets move over time. So like you can look up what the static natal chart is, which was, is just the snapshot of the sky at the moment. And obviously like with an example as the founding of a country, it is going to, there are going to be discrepancies. But when we think about the, like the energetic signature of it and what is most dominant, most people acknowledge that the United States was founded 
on that particular date. But it would be interesting to look up like other like significant dates when George Washington was the first or like other things and see how that energy interplays with it as well and take it in and make it a part of the whole. But that like that's why I think it's beautiful because we can just integrate these different interpretations. Like it's not necessarily like this or that, but we can take it in as part of the whole. Cause it, there's no denying that like the 4th of July, 4th, 1776, that's what like in our cultural mythology, that is when w- the country was founded. Right. But then we can examine it deeper, as you said. But when we think about the progress chart, it is because as a country, we are evolving. So I I think if I were to look up the progress chart of the United States, we would be a Leo now, I think, or maybe actually a Virgo. I'm not sure, but I would have to explore that deeper. But definitely like in individuals as well, it, it also happens and it describes the themes that you're dealing with at that particular time. So like, mm. even though I'm a cancer, I'm a progressed Leo. So at this phase of my life, I'm supposed to put myself out there like, express myself creatively and like it's okay to get attention because for cancers is a very shy very kind of reserved energy we don't like to be seen it's like back behind the scenes but like so whether it is for an individual or for a place or for a country or for a business that I like using astrology to look into the past more so than to look into the future for me personally and that's how like esoteric astrology is mostly used it's like to create the narrative of your soul, like from like doing like the backwards emotional math rather than being concerned with the future. Because like, if you don't understand the past, the energetic past and like the logical, that's why it's like energetic math. It's emotional math. If you think about it, like natural consequences of the energetic soup that is within you, when you understand that you are able to then predict your own future in a way, in in a way that serves the interests of your soul, not necessarily like the material world, even though like that's useful too. Like, obviously we got to eat. Careers are important. (laughs) Well, and what you're saying could, could possibly explain what we see in Glastonbury where we have the in Glastonbury, England, there are several, you can't really call them mounds, but they do slightly slope upwards towards the center. But what we're looking at when you do a bird's eye view of Glastonbury, England, is all of the zodiac signs, the 12 zodiac mm-hmm. signs are literally carved into the landscape. And the roads have sort of outlined them because there's a slope in the land. So instead of, you know, carving the hill, they just build the road, you know, at the bottom of the hill. So all of these shapes that were, you know, built into the landscape long ago have been preserved and outlined by the roadways in Glastonbury. And I'm I'm curious, maybe they did this to track the progression. And uh, my friend Michael Wan is a, a, a sidereal astrologer. And I'm, I'm wondering maybe, you know, that plays a part into it too, because I know from his explanations that tropical astrology is the original Babylonian sort of symbol set. Mm-hmm. And then it's evolved into sidereal astrology. And I think what's cool about talking to you is you've kind of highlighted how it's not too different, at least for me, it's not two different types of astrology. It's a progression of the changing of the positions of the planet over time. Mm-hmm. Definitely the progression and also like 
what is most emphasized and like what it's used for. But like sidereal astrology is like, I, I find, I look at it. I look at it as an art form, as I do like tropical astrology. I don't, I can't, I personally can't access it to use it as a tool, but I definitely appreciate it because for, for me, it does seem to be a little bit more fatalistic than what I resonate with, even though that's not to say that like one is better than the other. I definitely think cultural context influences it a lot and we are products of our culture, right? So for me, I do resonate more with tropical, but when you look at sidereal, you're like, Oh my God, there's so much to dig into. There's so much because they get down to such specific things to like even somebody's physical appearance that it almost freaks me out. I'm like, I don't want to look at mine because like they're going to tell me like why I have this like yellow dot on my eye, like literally like to that point, like medical astrology. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, I, I don't doubt it. I think there is a certain, you know, magic or sorcery to this switch and people emphasizing the old system as opposed to the new system and sort of mm. keeping people entrained in the old ways or or something mm. like that mm. just speculating but yeah i'm mm. curious also like when you mentioned the the differences in culture like how much syncretism do we see with astrological symbols like is it authentic when i see like you know, online you can look up like Native American moon signs, right? Because the native, certain Native American tribes will have like an explanation for each moon of the year. Doesn't necessarily mm -hmm. mean that they're subscribing to this concept of a zodiac, but they're clearly observing qualities of the moon changing over time. Have you examined like syncretically, like the like? Vedic astrology as opposed to this sidereal as opposed to tropical and so on and so forth. Yeah, I see it as like our unique translation of these energies that and this phenomena that we observe. Like it just so happened that a particular group of ancient human human beings codified and noticed the patterns going on at a certain time in ancient Babylonia and then inscribed it and wrote it all down and mythologized it all and passed it down to different or like different cultures, stole it, adopted it, changed the names. And then you see a similar thing happening on another part of the world that like these civilizations might have never had contact, but they're observing sim similar phenomena and coming to conclusions that are not necessarily like one to one copycats, but you can see the archetypal core of it. And it, I think it speaks to how similar we are as humans in our processing of our physical environment because we're meaning making machines like we always are trying to make meaning out of our physical world and whether it's codified in a language like traditional tropical astrology or native american mythology and moon signs there's always like an archetypal story that is playing out and that's like what i find like to be at the core and what i like to focus on because like to be honest, like I'm somebody who has no sacred cows, really, when it comes to like people's religion or like, like I, I find that like I'm allowed to criticize whatever belief system subjectively because it's like my opinion, like I'm not disrespecting somebody else when I do that. But I find that a lot of times we can kind of like, how do, how do I want to say that? It's like 
we kind we, we're like we get into these thought patterns of like iconoclism where we like attach these like exterior how do what is the thought that I even want to articulate it's almost like finding the actual archetypal core of these belief systems separate from any kind of external human egoic reverence or like this weird like worshiping of it in a way if that even makes sense like because at the end of the day like we're all human and I think I'm thinking I'm thinking of this because particularly like I post a lot of astrology content on TikTok and on TikTok, there are so many spiritual feuds going on at the moment, like different schools of spirituality, new agers, people that are into self-healing and shadow work that are like, and then like witch talk, witchcraft on TikTok that these people are, are in conflict with each other because they, and they have to tell each other that each other is wrong. You can't practice this sort of witchcraft because you're not from this particular tribe. You weren't initiated from this, by this shaman at this date or what you're not like legitimate practitioner. You're not a real witch. You're not a real astrologer. And I'm like, Oh my God, that's so cringe. Like your guys' egos are just flailing out. We're all trying to make meaning of everything. Nothing is like, who's trying to like gatekeep archetypes? That's so embarrassing for them. Like, honestly, you know what I mean? So like at the end of the day, we're all trying to make meaning of our physical environment. And the fact that we are so intuitive as human beings that we can make meaning from like a phase of the moon and like, Yes, we can explore the the actual, literal, tangible, energetic influence that the moon has on human beings. But the fact that there are these energetic archetypal stories already attached to these different phases of the moon passed down through generations of wisdom of like, imagine like the highly sensitive people, like the intuitive people back in the day that were making all of these connections. And we have all of their wisdom to learn from and to integrate into this modern time. Like, why not take more of it in? Why not take a little bit from Vedic astrology, tropical astrology, Native American astrology, and kind of blend it all like what you said in like the synchronous, synchronistic philosophy for ourselves. And Depend and depend. If you look at your birth chart, you can see what you resonate with more. Like for me, like I have my North Node, which is like your soul's destiny. It's like the dragon's head in Vedic astrology. That's like our soul is pushing us towards that. Like it's an uncomfortable place to go, but ultimately it's for our expansion and what we're gonna learn the most. And mine is in the sign of Sagittarius, so I'm actually like right on track. Like Sagittarius is an energy that's expansive and inclusive and taking in these different belief systems and blending them and seeing what resonates, discarding what doesn't. And based on somebody's lived experience, gaining wisdom from that lived experience and then sharing it and teaching it with the world. So it's beautiful. Like you can actually see like specifically what you might resonate with more over like something, somebody with like, like a very spiritual planet, like somebody with like Neptune and the sign of Virgo. That's like a very service oriented, but very like logical sign could be somebody who's like wanting to like go like be a nun or something like not even like, like in a Catholic way, but like you have that energy of like that like monastery, like isolating, like monk type energy where like you resonate more towards with individual study and like being like very meticulous about it and accumulating your knowledge. Whereas somebody like me is like, I just like want to take it all in and I'm just going to tell you like intuitively what I feel, you know? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, on this point, we've already gotten into 
I mean, so many mind-bending concepts. I think people listening are probably thoroughly inspired right now. And I hope they're not confused. <laughs> no, no, no. No, not at all. Now, when it comes to shadow work, how essential is our understanding of the different planetary influences on our life? Could somebody sort of secularly do shadow work without yeah. integrating the, the astrology? Absolutely. Yeah. I find I started doing shadow work before I even started getting into astrology, really. And I was doing shadow work almost unconsciously because I'm naturally a very self-reflective person. I'm always like running scenarios in my head like, wait, like what was motivating me to do that? Why did why did I react in this way? So like essentially like if you want to use shadow work to help you in your practical day-to-day -day life and in your interpersonal relationships, because that's where I find that like in today's society, especially like if you're like a young person in the world, like you're just like trying to find yourself and trying to like create stability for yourself. You want friends, you want a partner, you, so you need to get to know like yourself so that you can resonate and magnetize those people that are actually for you, right? So the more you integrate your shadow, the more that's going to become possible. So a way to like secularize shadow work, I mean, like, right, like Jung was the person who coined this term, but like ancient civilizations and native civilizations and shamanistic traditions have like invented this concept of shadow work, right? Going into your unconscious and un subconscious mind by like literally just asking yourself questions and kind of, unraveling a little bit why it is the way you have certain visceral reactions to certain stimuli that have not served you in your life and you want to alchemize them in order to become more in alignment with yourself. So on a very kind of like basic level, like I always like to use this example because it's so like relatable to a lot of like women my age. It's like when you see another woman that like has certain qualities that you want in yourself that like you see that you are lacking like when you feel jealous of someone for example and I guess this can be applied to men and women like it doesn't necessarily have to be gender specific but just like an emo like when you think about an emotion that is not necessarily a highest expression of who you can be so if you see somebody that has a career that you're jealous of is more attractive than you for some reason. That's what you think. Like you think this person is more attractive than me. They have the relationship that I want. They have more money than me. They have this job and you're, and you, and you have those emotions of like, that should be me. Like, why isn't that me? And I think for many people who are living below the veil of consciousness, they encounter situations like this and they go into like that victim mentality of like, well, I'm a victim to my circumstances that person only has that because they're privileged. That person only has that because they're attractive, because they're white, because they're a man. You can think of any excuse or not even excuse, but any circumstance, external circumstance, circumstance that you can attribute to that, those qualities that you see in that person that you also subconsciously want to possess, but because you feel so separate from them, you don't recognize them. You then kind of make yourself the victim and you don't empower yourself. Whereas you can ask yourself the question, if you see somebody like expressing themselves super confident, like their body language is amazing. And you're kind of this person that's just like, you just never put yourself out there and you kind of shrink when you're around large groups and you wish you could be a little bit more like them. 
why aren't you giving like a shadow work question would be why aren't you giving permission yourself permission to express yourself why are you jealous of that person is it because you are you yourself wish you could express yourself like that person, but there's something that's limiting you. There is a quality in you that you are disowning, rejecting, and making yourself separate from that you then, you see very clearly in other people, but you have a hard time recognizing it in yourself. And that that's like a kind of like a positive example of shadow work where you see somebody who has positive qualities that you want in yourself. Like, for example, if you're doing it with your birth chart, quite like in the significations of the house, the first house is you, it's your identity, your conscious identity and your personality. And the house that's opposite that is the seventh house, which is what you don't see. The seventh house is like your direct shadow. It's like the qualities in, that are a part of you that for whatever reason, and we can look at your moon sign and your other placements to see exactly why you needed to reject, disown, and disassociate from those qualities that you then project onto another person. But those same qualities are what are going to be magnetized into your life through different experiences in order to make you aware of those qualities. So if I use myself for an example, in my first house, I have the sign of Leo. So that makes me a Leo rising. And that's a placement in astrology. It's like very known in astrology, like people like are kind of jealous of it, I guess, because Leo is this energy that's like expressive and like, look at me. It's like you're confident and like you're you have no problem expressing yourself. But for a lot of us, it's like that's an energy that we had to work towards. Like we had to work towards embodying that. So then it doesn't make sense for when you see somebody who's like jealous of that, like, but you could do it, too. But anyway, the opposite sign of Leo is Aquarius. And we are in the sign of Aquarius right now. So like for me personally, the qualities that for my whole life I had rejected, disowned and disassociated from were those qualities of like kind of like that creative genius in a way of like being able to look at things from a higher kind of logical, futuristic perspective. And I would always attract people who I admired because of those qualities. And Aquarius is also an energy that is associated with like kind of a little bit of coldness as well, because it's that Saturnian vibe. And it's known for being a little bit aloof, a little bit cool. Like Aquarius is like the cool kid at the back of the party who's just like chill. Like, I don't need to talk to anybody. People come up to me. I don't come up to anybody. It's like that kind of cool kid vibe. And like, I never saw myself as like being somebody who could embody just like my uniqueness. Aquarius is very unique and like very individual. And it's interesting that it's the opposite of Leo because Leo is also unique and cool and an individual and like, it's represented by the sun. So it's like the sun shines its light on everybody indiscriminately, but it's also like the crowd pleaser. Like I want to fit in. I don't want to feel ostracized. I care what people think about me. Whereas Aquarius is like, I don't care what people think about me. I'm going to keep doing my own thing. It doesn't matter if I get validation. I don't care. Like I'm doing it because it's who I am and I'm just expressing myself. And those are the qualities that I've had to work and I'm still working to integrate into myself to like, be that individual and have that revolution of the in, of your individuality and being able to stand in your u- uniqueness, stand out from the crowd, not care what other people think, follow your path and follow your like what you naturally resonate with without fearing of like, well, what are people going to say? What's going to so that that's like that natural 
access and everybody has a, a different sign on their first house and on their seventh house. And that's just like one example of how you can use astrology for shadow work. But also like there's an asteroid called Black Moon Lilith, which represents archetypally the, this energy of the repressed wild feminine that is like ostracized from humanity and, and Jewish mythology. Lilith was Adam's first wife who was ostracized from the Garden of Eden because she didn't want Adam to like dominate her, like get on top or she wanted to be on top during sex. And that wasn't acceptable. So she was banished from the garden. And so she's this rebellious energy that often in women and also in men is heavily repressed in our society. We're not encouraged. Women are not necessarily encouraged to like actually truly embody that Lilith energy because people would lose their shit. Like if women just actually decided to tap into the divine energy of the wild Lilith, society would have a revolution overnight. Like it would just overtake everything. And it's slowly, slowly happening with Lilith right now is in it's transiting the sign of cancer, which is already the most feminine sign. It's like The moon and Lilith are kind of like both feminine, but they're opposites. Like the moon is like this nurturing, very nourishing energy. And Lilith is like, I'm not anybody's mother. I'm going away and I'm doing my own thing. And that's actually very real. And I know like in today's world where there's so many distortions and so much propaganda around like this gender divide between men and women, like we want to like attach ourselves to like certain ideologies and think like, well, men are supposed to be this way. Women are supposed to be that way instead of just just like naturally letting the energies flow through us and see what energy wants to manifest and embody through us. And that's also like part of shadow work that like divorced from astrology. This just like how you put it. How did you put it? You said the word you said. Secular. Secular. I was like, yeah, the opposite of sacred secular shadow work. It's just becoming aware of your unconscious reactions and responses based on your early childhood conditioning. And if you truly want to liberate yourself, you liberate your soul and stop operating from these early algorithms of your conditioning and create your own algorithm, your or unleash your organic consciousness. I feel like you have to do shadow work and you don't have to call it shadow work. You're just integrating the the subconscious aspects of your psyche, Mm. AKA becoming self-aware. You know, that's all it is. Shadow work isn't like this. You know, it can sound scary if somebody doesn't know what it is. It's like, it's, it's the process of becoming self-aware. You could do it in therapy, you could do it by yourself. You could do it through art, whatever way naturally resonates with you. There's so many ways to do shadow work. I don't even see it as like, oh, activity really that like, I mean, you can sit down and journal and do shadow work prompts. Like you can Google, but like I kind of go through life as in a constant state of shadow work almost like, because I feel like that's how we can show like shadow work naturally teaches us to show ourselves more compassion and then other people, more compassion. It's like, we understand ourselves deeply. So we're able to recognize other people as well and realize that we're existing in different realities. We have different subjective points of awareness. We have different values. We have different priorities. Not everybody has to think the way that I do in order for me to have like a psychological security, you know, like that is the essence of narcissism is needing everybody to think and be like you you know? Right. And that's why I'm glad we got here because 
you notice that there was a sort of oxymoronic phrase, secular shadow work, because <laughs> I don't really think you can separate the sacred from a process like this. It's a process of awakening. Naturally, you're going to be in touch with your higher self, your soul, your creator, wherever you fit into mm -hmm. your own religious worldview. You know, I think we all have the potential to touch that part of ourselves. And unfortunately, secular shadow work, maybe we can call that like modern day psychiatry. I know yeah. psychology would probably be a little different, right? I mean, there are some nuances here, but you know, for anyone in therapy currently, don't let anything me saying here as a non-doctor affect your decisions. But I would recommend you examine whether or not the protocol these so-called professionals are pushing you towards is actually connecting you to yourself or pushing you further away from yourself because mm -hmm. i think you know i've met people who have who have unfortunately fallen victim to this where they instead of coming closer to who they are they're sort of left further and further astray because of the chemical substances that they're prescribed. Yeah. Wow. It's crazy because I was actually talking to a friend about like the drugs that people are prescribed in order to treat this, treat the symptoms that they're experiencing. Whereas like, you know, I have this theory that like these drugs are kind of putting people into like different dimensions of like perception like in a way like because the side effects that people experience are very serious they're very gnarly like the dreams that people have when they're on drugs like Zoloft and these other SSRIs like people have described to me that they literally feel like they are physically in another place like in another dimension and I'm like well we it's very good that like we need to ask ourselves this question is this act is this because I'm not necessarily like anti-drug. Like if you need something to cope, like we all need, at the end of the day, it's so overwhelming to be a human. Like sometimes we need that little bit of drug to, for us to cope in the material world. And I don't feel like that's, that, there's no value judgment on that. Like we, everyone copes in some way or another, whether or not we want to admit it or not. Like we all have the ways that we cope. But at the end of the day, the question that you asked is the question to keep in mind, is this bringing you closer? Is this bringing you more inside of your body? Are you becoming more embodied and grounded or are, or are you being more disconnected from yourself and from the core reasons why you even sought that therapy in the first place? You know what I mean? Like, it can absolutely be helpful and a wonderful thing for people that it's meant to be wonderful for, but for the people that it's, it's not, and that it doesn't work and that seek different avenues, then that can help them just as well. Like you see, like I have this card, I think it's on here. Oh no, it's not. I have an Oracle card, an Oracle deck. And one of the cards says respect every altar. Cause at the end of the day, through astrology, I've been able to learn that not everybody is going to, obviously not everybody resonates with like even the conversation that we're having right now, but even the tools that we use in this matrix to heal ourselves and to better ourselves. Like I have friends who are all about therapy and CBT and reading the self-help books and self-development conferences and stuff. Like, I love that for them. Like, and that's their thing. Everybody can have their particular thing, their path, their altar by which they're going to find awakening because not every path is going to look the same. And, but 
again, coming back to that question, if is it connecting you back? Is it serving you or is it disconnecting you from your essence and, and from your source, which is like the most important thing, like to not feel alienated from yourself. You know, right. I always describe it as like coming back into your body. Like whenever I've gone through like depressive episodes, there's things like where I'm dissociate, disassociating or like wanting to be high like every day, like all day because I don't want to feel my emotions. Like I'm literally not in my body. Like I'm elsewhere. I'm like in the Neptunian realms where like I know that I'm here on earth to play on earth. If I was, this is the thing I like in the spiritual community when people talk about like, oh, I'm from Lemuria. I'm from Atlantis. I'm from like, are you? Because to me, it looks like you're on earth. Like it looks like you're meant to be right here right now. So maybe like, let's focus on what's in front of us. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And, and to that point, does the earth have its own energy signature that can be sort of fit into one of the archetypes, you know, like does, cause I've read, I don't remember where I read this. I don't know how accurate this is, but I guess earth has a more of a Libran energy, which is always made sense to me because I'm a Libra son and I like nature. I love the earth. So I don't know, maybe Mm -hmm. I'm just being a little like solipsistic there thinking the world (laughs) revolves around me, but it does in in a way, everybody's own, you know, world Mm -hmm. revolves around them. Mm -hmm. That's essentially what Mm -hmm. we're, we're talking about here, but what, what would be like the dominant energy here? Would it be the age we're in or does the earth have its own like sort of separate like mute, mm-hmm. like unmutable mm-hmm. sign or immutable sign? Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think I've ever like in any like astrological text read about a concept like that. Like if the earth is associated with us. Oh, my light went out, but I hope that's OK. Yeah, it's fine. OK, but like the way I see it, I'm like the 12 signs are this like if we could take the whole of the zodiacal wheel, Aries through Pisces, like those are the energies that are played out on earth. Like if earth is the stage, earth is the final physical extension. And in esoteric astrology, there's this concept of the, of the seven rays and how each astrological sign or like it's like two or three for each ray and how like those energy, like if we think, I like to think about like the album art from Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. You see the prism and the beam of light and then the color spectrum being refracted out. But if like we take it backwards and we look at the color spectrum as being condensed, and if we think of the color spectrum as the planetary energies and as the prism as our like subjective egoic lens, or we want to talk about it as the earth plane, as the earth stage, and then the one beam of light is the amalgamation of all of those energies on earth. Because like if I were to give you like a more mundane, not necessarily mundane, but like stereotypical answer, like I would think. Taurus would be like the energy of earth or even Capricorn because Capricorn is ruled by Saturn and it's Saturn literally rules like the consolidation of atoms to create material matter. And so there is no earth without the slow vibration of atoms. And that to me is very Saturnian, very Capricorn. But, you know, it's interesting. This Libra, which is your sun sign, Saturn, the planet Saturn is exalted in the sign of Libra. In astrology, that means that Saturn operates the best in Libra almost because Saturn is this energy of creating structure and like structure in a way like material structure. But when we introduce the Libra energy of harmony, 
harmonious structure. And that is what like the physical plane is, right? All of these atoms vibrating at a slow vibration to create the beauty that is actually in physical form. Libra talks about that beauty, like Venusian type of energy. So I, you're onto something with the sign of it being Libra in a way, but it, I like to think of it as like all the 12 signs, but when we think about Saturn specifically and, and its exaltation and Libra, it does make sense because mm-hmm. of the, the physical material harmony that it creates archetypally. Yeah. And I started to remember where I got that from. There used to be a website in the pre-social media internet days called Libra Rising. It's no longer accessible, unfortunately, but they had all this great esoteric information in it in their website and that was when i only had uh, you know a couple dozen books so it was sort of like the basis of a lot of what i've learned since but this has been really i mean tremendous tremendously deep you know especially for the topic i felt like i was a little disarmed to be honest before but then once we started talking like oh wow i know how to I know about all this stuff. It's so relatable. <laughs> it is, it's extremely relatable. And I don't know what it is about me, but I always get like a smoke screen up when it comes to me mm-hmm. and understanding astrology. And this has been really elucidating for me. So real mm-hmm. quick, I want to let everybody know where they can follow up with you if they want to get a reading, if they want to learn more about anything that you have to offer. So tell us about that. But then If you're willing, I'd love to have you stick around for a little bit longer. And for just the Patreon audience, they can hear a little sneak preview of what's going on behind the scenes, a Skull and Bones research project that I've been working on. And you and I can talk about your experience at Yale. What do you think? That sounds good. Cool. So we'll do that. And before we get to that, why don't you tell us where to follow up and, and support? Awesome. So thank you. This has been fun. I hope that the listeners found it useful and valuable and that I wasn't too rambly because sometimes I do go on these like Alex Jones type rants in my head. I'm like, I have so many tabs open. (laughs) That's great for me as a host. I just sit back and listen and it's (laughs) it's been great. Awesome. So if any of the listeners want to get in touch with me, you guys can check out all my social media at beacons.ai slash soy este. Not like soy sauce, but like soy means I am in Spanish. So it's mm. like I am este. Or you can, on Instagram, soy este. On TikTok, soy este. Twi- I'm also on Twitter. You can find me on LinkedIn if you want. If you want to connect on LinkedIn. <laughs> yeah, email me, esteastra at outlook.com for a reading. I'm always honored when people like choose me as an astrologer to dive into their chart. Because like it's a truly, it's like a, a vulnerable thing. Like I'm going to spend like two hours with you, like studying your energy and like reflecting it back to you and trying to formulate a story, a narrative of how your soul is trying to evolve. So I find it like, it's like an intimate, vulnerable thing. So I'm always honored when people choose me to do their charts. So if you're interested in that, like I could definitely make you a priority. So yeah. And thanks. Thanks for having me on. That's awesome. I'm definitely personally interested and I hope that's conveyed to the audience too we're just gonna jump right into it i'm not even gonna stop the show the patreon audience is listening now and for everybody who's still on the free side of things what are you doing sign up on patreon and enjoy the moment wherever you are in the now
graduated from the Yale School of Drama, which after I left got bought by this like billionaire named David Geffen, who's like this like like oligarch here in Los Angeles, like uh, like in the music industry and stuff. And he bought the school. He donated like millions of dollars to the school to get his name on it. So like now it's the David Geffen School of Drama. And, uh, and I, I sent an email to the entire school when that happened because I thought like, you guys are so loud about colonization and about like white men taking over everything, but like you're so happy to like take their money and put them like, I was just pointing out the hypocrisy of it all. And then the Dean emailed me back. His name is James Bundy, like the grandson of the architect of the Vietnam War. And he was like, hey, like I'm, you can, like I can call you over the weekend. And that concludes our conversation with Este Astra, unless you sign up for the Patreon or the Rockfin and you can hear the complete conversation. There'll even be a timestamp in the episodes. You can just fast forward right to the moment where you left off. So don't wait around. Go and listen to that right now. And like I alluded to, we're working on a very awesome project uh, soon you'll hear more information about it obviously if you've been following my recent appearances on a number of different podcasts you'll see that i've been focusing on a very specific topic and i hope to take an angle that maybe other people haven't before there's plenty of information about this group available i'm not digging up any new information i'm just connecting the dots in a way that maybe hasn't been connected before so that's enough about that like i said sign up on the patreon right now if you're an audio listener you get a bonus rss feed you plug it right into whatever podcast app you're using right now and you get just get every show there instead of where you're listening right now uh, not to mention you get bonus shows you get the show early and on certain special occasions like this you'll get the entire episode and i should mention with this uh snb project we've interviewed a couple people whose interviews have not even made it to the main show uh donut for example um troy mclaughlin for example uh, you'll hear from them very soon when this project airs but <clears throat> until then the supporters of this show will be privy to such so please support the show uh, even if it's just a one-time donation it really goes a long way it all goes to funding this podcast and making it possible for me to put two or more episodes out a week not to mention the three other podcasts i do on a regular basis uh, more information coming soon I've got another podcast called Alt Media United that's about to debut, focusing on the podcast technology, focusing on the podcast community, focusing on free speech in tech, and all the other issues that we face as podcasters in this alternative space. So I hope that we can uh, elucidate 
people on what Alt Media United is and, and what some of our goals are through that show as well as highlight some awesome podcasters along the way. Uh, you know my show, Your Handbook for the Apocalypse, that I do with Michael Wan. And of course, Esoteric America, which don't be dismayed, folks. We will have a new episode out soon. Uh, episode 11 is on the way. Uh, Illuminati confirmed as well. Just came out last night. If you missed it, we do a live stream two Tuesdays a month. We also do two Patreon-only shows each month. So if you want all that, go to the Patreon and follow us on YouTube. Rockfin as well. We put the videos up there. And uh, that does it for this episode. Like I said, it's not the end of the conversation. Sign up on Patreon and get the full episode, a whole bonus hour we don't do this for every episode, but for this specific topic, I wanted to keep our guests' privacy and also uh, put a wall, a curtain up for now uh, between the public and this project that we're working on. So stay tuned for that and enjoy immersing yourself in the moment wherever you are in the now. Oh, before we go, let me tell you about the Hit Kit. Go to hitkit.us and you will find the number one way to ensure that you're not wasting your time rolling up your sweet, sweet herb into whatever it is, a joint, maybe a blunt like me. You roll it up and you want to make sure that when you get to where you're going, it's still in one piece, right? You can't be just putting your fine, sweet herb in your pocket, in your front pocket even. I mean, come on, what if you have to tie your shoe and whoop, there it goes, onto the floor, everyone sees this guy is smoking herb and he's hiding it in his front pocket. No more, folks, get yourself a hit kit. It's the number one way to store your rolled up smokables, whatever you're smoking. Maybe you like CBD, maybe you like full-blown sativa, maybe you like full-blown couch lock indica, whatever it is. You can get the Swiss kit single, you can get the OG hit kit, you can get the Swiss kit double. I like the Swiss kit double. It keeps my lighter and my two blunts of choice after I roll them safe and sound or you can get the coffer if you're a high roller get the coffer you could probably fit two or three blunts in there if you really pack them in and the best part about the coffer is that you can use your lighter right there stored away in the coffer and pop it open and just flick it and light it get it open there it goes they also got the flamethrower if you're the type of person who likes crazy lighters. There's also a tuber. And I'm just looking at everything on the hitkit.us website. They are sponsoring this show, so go show them some love. Use the promo code CRAZY and you will get 15% off your order. Uh, get the hit kit today. So, uh, We've had a good couple of weeks of shows. You know? Mark is doing a great job, even yeah. though he drives me fucking nuts yeah. sometimes. He's great. No, he's done a great job. He's done a great job. Good job, Mark. You can call uh, me Mark Palmer, Mark Palmer's cool. Mark Palmer's... It's a beautiful day to be alive. Motherfuckers. It's a beautiful day. Beautiful day. It's a beautiful day to be alive.
That's all I gotta say. I don't think it's about money. I think they have so much. It's just about. It's it's, it's a spiritual war, dude. It's so much farther. There's more power with spring flowers than pseudo-intellectuals filled by hate with the face sour. When it comes to the hour of reckoning, recollect, reconnect with days happening. Yeah, are you frowning or laughing? Are you making the brain or barely passing? Caught in the asinine like the afterlife. Obsessed with darkness after you master light. Cause it's faster than a blink. When it's a bastard latched to the clank, clang. The money don't mean a damn thing. Think happiness ain't coming from the bank, dang. I'm out here daydreaming. The spirit's the egg, the self is the semen. Uh, and that's cause life is the child. And it takes a village to give it the inner style. So, if your family think you crazy, mm, and you ain't got a village, no, you always got a place here. Come kick it, we chillin'. Exactly, dude, you get it, bro. You're so smart, everybody, you're so smart. Feel like I'm waking up for the first time. Krusty's on my third eye, but I'm back to the grind. Pop the blinds open, let the sun shine. Feel it on my skin like it's been sometimes. Sometimes depression got me flaking like Sisyphus. Others got me messing with mania like Icarus. And meditation helps with the sickness. Some say it's human condition, but it just isn't. There's more power in spring flowers. The circular thoughts that leave the mind devoured. Blurred lines between reality and fiction. And some politicians get dirtier than dishes. But for a minute, just forget about the government. I'm looking at you and I and where the love went Cause we don't need a fucking village full of cynics Need a family to foster a life worth living if it isn't And your family think you crazy, yeah And you ain't got a village I know you always got a place here Come kick it, we chillin', yeah I'm a conspiracy boy Mark Palmer's cool. How are you, brother? I'm great, man. How are you?